do you ever feel like your body is at war with itself? That your muscles are just too tight in some places, but too loose in others? Maybe you experience chronic pain or unexplained symptoms that nobody can diagnose. If this sounds familiar, you may be one of the millions of people with hypermobility-related disorders. And while you may have heard these conditions referred to as double-jointedness, this is far from a party trick. If you're hypermobile, you know that you can also face a host of challenges from anxiety and dysautonomia to joint injuries and pain. But here's the thing, there is so much hope and there are also so many misconceptions about hypermobility. The good news is today we're going to be diving into the latest research and treatment options for hypermobility. Whether you're already diagnosed or you're just curious and thinking that maybe there's something else going on to your symptoms that just nobody has quite diagnosed yet, this podcast episode is for you. We are going to be speaking with a nurse and hypermobility expert, Katie Goss, about her own journey and how she is working hard to empower others to find strength and resilience in their bodies. Katie took her background as a critical care nurse, her love for movement, and her frustrations as a patient, and combined them to develop an online method to overcome the limitations of chronic pain and hypermobility. She's spoken in the U.S. and internationally on these topics, educating other professionals and sharing her personal story about pelvic health, chronic pain, and hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Her company, Wealth, has helped thousands worldwide overcome limitations and return to doing what they love. So if you're relating so far, get ready for an episode that might just change the way you view your body. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 62 of the Unweaving Chronic Pain Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrea Moore, and I am on a mission to empower you to connect to your body's wisdom, your inner guidance to finally live your life full out versus spending your time managing your pain and losing out on activities you love. So if this sounds good to you, Let's go ahead and dive in. But before we quite dive into this episode today, I want to let you know that on May 7th, this is the deadline to sign up for the Pain to Power program. This is a 12-week guided, fully supportive program that will show you how to break the cycle of pain, reclaim your body, and then reclaim your life. Together, we are going to be working through the ways to connect back to your inner wisdom from a place of love, compassion, and curiosity, and help get your wisdom running your life and not have your pain continue to shrink it. So if you're interested in more information about this program, make sure you click the link below. And I'm also going to put a special link for this weekend only. I'm opening up spots on my schedule if you have questions about if this program is right for you. So if you do have some questions, just get signed up and we can chat and figure that out. Now, when you sign up before May 7th, I do want to also include you get some amazing bonuses. In fact, it's $1,500 worth of bonuses. 
you will get an additional six months of weekly coaching that's open coaching that you can join in on after the 12 weeks ends together if you just want more support or to expand on your journey and getting to know yourself even more. And you will also get a $500 value trauma bundle. This includes diving really deep into the freeze and fawn responses, especially with some really special guided audios that can help process you through them and show you how to work with these responses. But for right now, just imagine if in 12 weeks you could open to a completely different relationship to your pain, your body, and your life. One where you are no longer at war with it. One where you are no longer resenting your body, trying to fight your pain, exhausting yourself, and using every ounce of energy and mental space to figure out how to fix your pain. What if instead you could open up to life to start getting back to things you love without worrying about pain flaring up? What would open up for you if you could finally have the space to pursue your passions, to get back to moving the way you like, to get back to exercising, or to just be able to jump for a spontaneous car ride without having to think twice about it. This is what will happen for you when you join the Pain to Power program. Again, it is a highly supportive small group program where you will be getting coaching from me, support from me, and all the other details are included in the link. So make sure you check it out. Do not miss out because it is closing very, very soon. All right, time to get into it. All right, welcome, Katie. I am so excited to have you on this podcast. Thank Thank you you so much. Yes. Why don't you start by telling people a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is actually in critical care nursing. um, And I went to school for that because I have always been fascinated just with the human body and anatomy and physiology and pathophys and, you know, just really passionate about helping people. Um, I'm also, I come from a long line of medical professionals in my family. So I was kind of destined to do that. Uh, Got into healthcare and pretty quickly got pretty frustrated with the system. Um, as most people who have worked in healthcare for any amount of time know, it's, you know, it's really tough, um, to actually help people specifically with chronic conditions, Mm -hmm. like for acute care stuff. Awesome. And that part of it was very rewarding, but what was hard was seeing people who are chronically ill, who just would keep coming back to the same unit with the same issues and, you know, the budget cuts and not being able to educate them. And it just, it was hard to feel really good about the care that you were giving. And at the same time, you didn't have the resources or the time to give the care that they deserve. So um, I ended up leaving nursing, um, stayed home with my kids when they were little so that I could nurse them. And then um, I had some very significant um, pelvic floor issues after, Mm. um, giving birth. And that was ultimately what led me to, um, being diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And, um, I went down a a long rabbit hole of learning all kinds of different forms of movement and getting certified and became a Pilates instructor and, um, got involved with my first online business, kind of helping people with chronic pain. And then ended up starting wealth and, um, just helping people with chronic pain and hypermobility to, um, get back to doing all the things that they love. 
Oh, that's so amazing. What a journey. It was a, it was a very, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there are so many more details and components to that, but yeah. And I'm so curious before, cause you obviously then had like a pretty late diagnosis in terms of like when, and I think this is so common that people do not get diagnosed until a lot later on. So I'm curious if you had signs before that, or if it was a surprise to receive that. Yeah, I definitely did have signs before. Mm -hmm. um, And it also, it was a surprise when I started learning about it. By the time I was diagnosed, I had done quite a bit of my own education Mm. on it. Um, So I wasn't surprised when I actually got the diagnosis, but I was surprised there were definitely light bulb moments as I was reading about EDS and things were suddenly making sense from, I mean, childhood, even infancy. Um, When I was born, I had you know, they just called it like floppy baby. I couldn't mm-hmm. hold my head up for a long time. Wasn't meeting milestones. Um, they took me to neurologists and they did genetic testing for the things they knew how to test for at the time. I mean, this was 1982. Yeah. So um, they didn't know, you know, what they know now about connective tissue disorders, which mm-hmm. that is sort of a red flag now. So we are improving in terms of what we know and identifying hypermobility earlier. Um but there's a long way to go still with that for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of, um, you know, chronic pain, even at a young age, like mm-hmm. laying in bed and kind of getting brushed off as growing pains, you know, but laying in bed and just not being able to sleep because just everything hurt. My legs would hurt. My back would hurt. And, you know, can remember that I felt different because, you know, mm-hmm. my friends didn't have that. None of my friends had to lay on the floor and like, you know, roll back and forth because their back was hurting or, um, mm-hmm you know, lots of random joint injuries that were, you know, imaging didn't show anything and couldn't, couldn't really figure it out. Put me in a sling for a while or a boot or, you know, um, just a lot of unexplained injuries that took a long time to heal, like longer than you would expect. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there, there were quite a few things, um, you know, I've always had very low blood pressure, Mm -hmm. um, some, kind of orthostatic intolerance. So, you know, standing up, getting dizzy and, um, yeah, just, a a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of the nervous system kind of overactive fight or flight, um, dysautonomia, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the co-occurring things that go with hypermobility. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of light bulb moments where things made sense over the years. For sure. And then for listeners who might not know what EDS is, and then also separating it out from like benign hypermobility, because I think yeah, they can get, I mean, it makes sense, like hypermobility goes with EDS, but you can have benign hypermobility and not have EDS. Yeah. Um, And mm -hmm. it's confusing because they have changed the terminology every so many years, the terminology all gets changed, which makes it kind of confusing. But um, so benign joint hypermobility um, is a term that uh, isn't used as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically we think of hypermobility as a spectrum and hypermobility for anyone who doesn't know is really just a larger range of motion in your joints than what we consider normal or what, you know, is average basically for some people that might mean all of their joints for some people that might mean just the peripheral, you know, the little joints, fingers, toes, ankles, Mm -hmm. wrists. Um, you can have it in just select joints. Sometimes it might be the result of injuries. Like if you're a soccer player, you've rolled the same ankle a bunch of times, maybe your ankles hypermobile Mm -hmm. now because you have some laxity there but the rest of your joints are okay. Um, So there's, you know, generalized hypermobility is when you have, you know, 
a good amount of joints that are hypermobile. And then with that, there's a spectrum and, you know, just generalized joint hypermobility might mean your joints are hypermobile, you're, you know, flexible, you can do like cool yoga poses and stuff <laughs> without really having to practice, but you don't have any other issues from it. Mm -hmm. You're not having joint issues or pain or fatigue or anything else. And then um, there is hypermobility spectrum disorder, um, which means you're hypermobile, you have some pain, some other issues, but you do not meet the very specific diagnostic criteria for hypermobile or any form of um, mm -hmm. EDS. And there's a quite a bit of debate actually on this, um, mm -hmm. but really the diagnostic criteria for hypermobile EDS um, was really just to try to narrow down um, the people that qualified so that they could do more genetic testing and do more research. Mm. But in terms of treatment, um, hypermobility spectrum disorders and HEDS are, should be treated the same. Um, it's not, there's kind of this perception that if you have HEDS, you're worse off than mm -hmm. someone who just mm -hmm. has HSD. And that's actually not true. Um, people with HSD can have, you know, a lot of systemic issues. Um, and, you know, hypermobility is the result of some differences in the makeup of our connective tissues. Mm -hmm. And so we have connective tissues. We think about the joints a lot, but we actually have connective tissues yes. in pretty much yeah. every system of our body, our teeth, our mm -hmm. blood, um, plasma, bones, um, our cardiovascular system. So it really can have um, a much broader impact on someone than you'd realize. And, and that's yeah. something that can be hard for people because even a lot of doctors are like, Oh, well, that just means your joints are bendy. It's fine. Totally. <laughs> yes. Well, and sorry, and clarify, what does HSD stand for? That's hypermobility spectrum, spectrum disorder. disorder. Okay. So yeah, I, just, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. And it's so funny yeah. because I'm like, oh, I feel like I just dated myself of, I totally have used benign joint hypermobility. I didn't realize that was an I, old term because that's what I use. Like I am not in the clinic anymore. And yeah. I learned that back when I started and I'm like, I guess it's been like a decade. <laughs> and a lot so of people do you. Still, like I've heard geneticists still use yeah. that term and stuff. It's, no, you know, it's great. Um, but I think some people feel like the benign part is, mm. you know, sort of dismissing the yes issues or yeah, I don't know. I think it depends whether you have a medical background, you understand kind of the term benign versus if you don't, it can feel like it's dismissive of your yes. other, you know. Issues. Oh, that's so true. No, that's so true. That makes so much sense. And I am glad to be updated on this because it's not, a, I worked with a lot of hypermobility early on in my career, but that was like, I mean, I graduated in 2011. And so like for the, the, the first clinic I was at for the first four years, I saw tons of hypermobility and EDS. And then since then, I really haven't directly worked in the clinic with it. So I'm like, I haven't updated myself. So this is great. And it's and interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's interesting to talk about the prevalence of it um, because the prevalence is usually referred to in terms of general population. But like you're saying, when it comes to physical therapists or physicians in the clinic, you're probably actually seeing a much higher prevalence because these people typically just have yes. more issues, more pain, more complaints, more injuries. So that yes. part gets a little confusing too. It does. And I, and I worked at a clinic that was the like, it was where people went when they failed other physical therapy, right? It's like, we were known for that. So it was like, what was so funny was that was my first 
clinic job, right? And I hadn't, we barely learned anything about hypermobility in school. So I was lucky enough to, the knowledge that I got was we worked with a ton of dancers. And so a lot of my experience was with people who were very strong and capable, but also got injured quite a bit or had pain. And so it wasn't until like a little bit later on that I realized that there was then a lot of misconceptions, which we'll get into in a second, but like, yeah, but then when I went into my next clinic, which was literally like a workers comp clinic that saw all like manual laborers, because before I was like, of course the sacrum moves. How can people say it doesn't move? Like you can literally feel it. And then I was like, oh, this is why people say it doesn't move because I haven't been touching the general population's body where it is so stiff. Okay. I see the debate now everybody's right. It just depends on whose body you're touching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's so tough. There's always so much nuance to oh you know, any of those statements. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with that whole debate about. The yes. Sacrum. Yeah. Yes. Oh, those studies are all done on military dudes. Of course, yes. you're not feel, feeling the sacrum moving. Go, yeah. go play with my ballet dancer sacrum. Yes. And you'll have a very different opinion. Yeah. And the, the hypermobile folks are, do tend to, um, be drawn to yoga and dance gymnastics because that, that ability is very much rewarded in those, those places. So 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about some misconceptions with it first. Like what are the biggest misconceptions you come across? I mean, there are a few, um, one that it gets worse with age. Mm. Um, it can for mm-hmm. some people, but that's not directly connected to aging. Yes. Like I think in my opinion, most often that's more um, coordinated with deconditioning. Um, and then that brings me to the, I, the one that I really want to scream from the rooftops about is the, um, the messaging that we are broken, weak, fragile, um, that we shouldn't lift heavy weights, that we need to be super careful or even being told like not to strength train. Um, a lot of people are told that I was told that after I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think all professions have their place and their thing that they're really, really good Mm -hmm. at. And geneticists are awesome at diagnosing, probably not the best place to get prescription in terms of movement, right? (laughs) Let's save that. You can say it on here. We're good. Let's save that for the people that do that. So um, (laughs) to me, when I was told that, because at the time, you know, I was into weightlifting. I have um, been into lifting weights since high school. And it was something that the first time I went in the weight room, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I felt better afterward. And so I was just drawn to lifting, lifting weights over the years. Mm -hmm. It's been the thing that I come back to. And I know that if I go more than, more than like three days without some type of strength or resistance training, I just start to hurt again. And so it's just Mm -hmm. been something that's been easy for me to stick to because intuitively I feel better when I do it. Um, So being told that I shouldn't do that was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And if your joints are more lax and loose because of your connective tissues, what else, you know, supports our joints and holds them together other than our connective tissues. It's like our muscles. So why would we not strengthen those? Like it just made, it made no sense to me. Um, and unfortunately it still is advice that is very rampantly, you know, given out, um, and something that we, we really have to do a lot of educating on our hypermobile folks. Um, not to say that they should all go jump into group exercise or CrossFit because 
they, you know, there's a lot more um, attention that needs to be given to form and technique and progressions mm -hmm. and more gradual loading. A lot of times starting them at a much, you know, mm -hmm. easier regression. Um, but when done in a safe, you know, way from someone who understands hypermobility, it is, in my opinion, hands down the, the most profound thing that you can access to make yourself feel and function better. There's no cure for hypermobility. There's no yeah. cure for EDS, but you know, you can impact the way that you feel and function and not even just, we think about it again, in terms of supporting the joints, but even those co-occurring conditions, the dysautonomia, you know, the mm -hmm. POTS that a lot of people have, um, you know, exercise actually helps all yes. of that fluid circulation is going to help with your, your other symptoms too. Yes, 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 yes. To all of that. And I want to highlight what you said about the joints too, of like in, I, I don't know how, what you think about this analogy, but this was the analogy that I always used and still remember is like, if you attach a slinky in a bed spring, have you heard this one? Or, no. no. Okay. So it's like, if you attach a slinky in a bed string, bed spring and you stretch it out, what stretches first? The slinky, right? Cause the bed springs like really rigid. So like in a person's joint who does not have hypermobility, it's like the muscle that's the slinky. And then eventually, right. You keep stretching then you'll get into the ligament or the con connective tissue, but in hypermobility that's flipped. So if you're stretching, yeah. it's like you're stretching through all the connective tissue before you're ever able to stretch the muscle, Yes, which means again, it's like, so somebody who is stretching a lot, doing a ton of yoga and like end range of motion things and dancing and, you know, able to have that is just making their connective tissue more lax and, or just feeding into the laxity, right? And so we need the muscle to come in and be able to support that even more. Yes. And, and the muscle can kind of take the job of the connective tissue when it's strengthened. Totally. And we see that be such a, a vicious cycle and one that I lived for a long time with my yeah. hamstrings. I used to say my hamstrings are just so tight. Like they, yes. And I truly had the sensation of tightness mm -hmm. in my hamstrings and I would stretch and I would feel some relief initially. Mm -hmm. And then it would come back just even more. I would feel tight. I would feel tight, yeah. stretch, feel tight, stretch, feel tight and have pain like way up high at the, you know, hamstring mm -hmm. connection. And it wasn't until I actually met, um, he's my fiance now, but I was working with him and I said, I just cannot figure out this hamstring thing. I just, they're so tight. And he's, you know, put me through a couple of movements. He's like, your hamstrings are not like you have crazy range of motion. Stop mm -hmm. stretching them. Let's strengthen and that was such a game changer for me. I completely stopped stretching, didn't stretch them at all for like two months and just got into strength work for the hamstring and the pain completely went away. And from the stuff I've read, it's like people that are hypermobile also don't get the same proprioceptive feedback. Mm -hmm. So when we are stretching, just like you said, and it's the soft tissues that are providing that stretch, not the muscles, yeah. we don't feel it. Like a normal person mm -hmm. would feel that and be like, this doesn't feel right or stop. And we don't feel that, but our nervous systems still detect that overstretching. And so yes. then it goes into like a guarding mode and we're just like clueless about what's <laughs> happening. We just feel like, oh my gosh, I just feel so tight around this joint. And so, yeah, it's, 
that's another thing that we we do a lot of educating with people is like if there's a spot that has felt tight and you keep stretching it and it's not getting better let's stop mm-hmm. and let's work on strengthening it and lay off the stretching for a while and it usually is just super helpful for people yeah yeah I used to have my dancers I'm like if it's because they'd be like but I can oh my gosh they'd be like so like itchy to stretch and so I'd be like you can use a lacrosse ball on the muscle belly. Like if it's, if the, and then, then you're actually targeting the muscle, then you know, you're getting the muscle because there can, I mean, I've definitely dry needled somebody with hypermobility who has tons of range of motion because they have a trigger point in their muscle belly, like, and they can feel that and it's uncomfortable, but you got to like target it directly because you yes. just cannot get to it by stretching. Yeah, absolutely. The massage, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. The massage definitely is super helpful for that. Yeah. And so I'm so curious too. I love, I just want to, again, highlight what you said about like the strengthening of the hamstrings that helps. And I think there, what, what is really common, and I'm sure this is what you end up maybe, maybe end up, I'm making an assumption of what you end up seeing is that when there's somebody who has been told, Hey, don't strength train, you're fragile, you're weak. And now they've gone a decade or multiple decades they are now at a place like you said where it's like to get into strengthening is really challenging and that needs to be really acknowledged because you said it up like you don't just jump into a group program because the cueing that is needed this type of strengthening how you get there is going to look very different than your general population yeah and i think that is when oh go ahead I was just gonna say, and and the hypermobile folks are really good at like achieving a position. Like you're in a group fitness class and you look around, you're like, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay. And you can achieve the position, but you're using totally different muscles than everyone else. Like your ability to contort and look like other people is great, but like you're feeling it and using totally different muscles and, and tissues in your body to achieve that. Yes. That's where I'm like, was always, it's like, what muscle are you feeling that in? What muscle are you feeling it? Oh, it's not supposed to be in that muscle. <laughs> I remember I had a guy who, who was hypermobile and he would strain his hamstring, like legitimately, like, like it was inflate, like a legitimate strain from doing pull-ups. And I was like, that is one hell of a cop, but, yeah. but like multiple times it would happen. And I'm like, you, cause you're not using the right muscles. You are somehow managing to use your hamstring in a pull-up, which I can't even wrap my head around, but it doesn't matter. Let's teach you what muscles you're supposed to use and where your lats actually are and how you feel them because, and, and you're actually, let's, I want to back up. You spoke to proprioception. Can you explain what proprioception is? Yeah. It's just knowing where your body is in space. Yes. So understanding where your arm is, what it's doing, where your leg is, what it's doing. Um, mm-hmm. We actually did a reel on um, social media that. recently The <laughs> yeah, the um, hypermobile girls walk like this and it showed us like stubbing a toe, rolling an ankle, running into a door frame. There's a lot <laughs> of that where like, you're just not really quite sure where you are like you think Mm -hmm. you know where you are but you're a little off and so you know a lot of times we encourage people to train do a lot of training in front of a mirror or if that's not an option then record yourself Mm -hmm. and look because a lot of times you where you think you are or you know a movement you think that you're doing a really good job keeping your pelvis still and then you look at yourself and you're like huh like it's just all over (laughs) yeah and 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 speak I mean that just those with hypermobility are going to have a lot harder time with proprioception. The proprioception is literally less. And you, at the beginning, we're talking about how you, you strength train and you notice if you 
miss just even a couple of days or if you go more than three days. And I'm curious how much does it feel like any of that is just related to the proprioceptive input into your joints and that just feeding into that. Cause I feel like that is another reason why strength training is so helpful is it helps with that proprioception. Yeah, I think it definitely does. I think I'm sure that that is definitely mm-hmm. one factor. Um, yeah, for sure. I think it, it just helps with so many of the co-occurring conditions and issues, yeah. you know, GI issues are very prevalent oh, yeah. Again, connected to our GI tract. A lot of us have um, issues with GI motility mm-hmm. and, you know, movement is what helps get those peristalsis waves and get things moving through your GI tract. So mm-hmm. it's just, again, so many, there's so many pieces to it, but movement helps all of them. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So what can you like, if somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I'm in this place where I've gone, yeah, 30 years without exercising, I'm in chronic pain. And anytime I try to do a movement, it feels like it flares me up. Like, is there hope for them? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. there absolutely is. And a lot of times, <clears throat> I think a lot of times people think of strength training and you think of like the CrossFit or the, mm-hmm. you know, bodybuilding and it might simply be isometric. I mean, a great example is the neck. Um, so a lot of hypermobile folks have a lot of neck issues mm-hmm. um, ranging, you know, it can be all kinds of different reasons for it, instability or otherwise. Um, but just starting them with just a neutral position and just providing their own resistance with a hand so they can go as gentle as they need to. Mm-hmm. And just just resisting the pressure that you're putting into your head from different sides is where we start people with neck and that just that in itself, a couple of weeks of doing that can be so profound for people. Like it mm-hmm. can have such a massive impact on pain. And then people, you know, you think of strengthening the neck and you think of like the iron neck contraption with the, it's like, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. no, you don't need that. super simple. Um, yes. You know, and we really start in that way with the whole body with sim- mm-hmm. simple, but not easy. Like the yes. basic stuff is is not easy, especially for folks that are hypermobile when you're teaching them, you know, which muscles to be using and really getting them cued into their posture and their alignment while they're doing these exercises. Um, So yeah, I mean, nobody is too deconditioned to start working on this. There are, you know, progressions that anyone can do that can be Mm. graded to their level. I love that. And I was telling Katie before we started that when I came across their account, I was at this like place where I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to start putting out more videos on exercise and how to cue properly because I just see it done wrongly all the time. Even when I was like working in the clinic, like looking at MedBridge's exercise, which is like a home exercise program maker and other ones. I'm like, why do they, they're literally, they have one job, which is to show people how to do exercise and they're doing it wrong. Like I would get so yeah. mad. And anyways, but then I came yeah. across Katie's account, <laughs> Wealth's account. And I was like, oh my gosh, there are people in this world that cue and are showing it so beautifully. And I was like, okay, good. I don't want to do this. All right. I don't have to do it. And I don't want to do it, but they do it. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It's, yes. um, it is interesting. The number, I mean, we've both experienced this ourselves, you know, going to PT and it mm-hmm. actually making you worse. And I think that's another piece to the puzzle for people who mm-hmm. are hypermobile, who are told to strengthen a lot of times their physician may even send them to physical therapy, yeah. but if they end up working with a therapist who doesn't understand hypermobility, I've had people do, you know, like 
joint distractions on me, which just, uh, I mean, yeah. didn't, that was before, you know, I didn't know that I was hypermobile at that point and they didn't know, but they didn't know how to help me. And so it did make things worse. And mm -hmm. I think so many of us that are hypermobile have had at least a handful of those experiences where you go and do the thing that you're mm -hmm. supposed to do, and then it makes you worse. And so understandably people are scared and hesitant and, you know, so yeah. that's like just another piece to the puzzle. And, um, you know, on social media can be great for gathering information. And there's also, um, you know, a lot of misinformation or mis or information that isn't specific to the topic. So like with exactly. the queuing mm -hmm. that you're mentioning, you know, some people will say like people are over queuing exercises. It's mm -hmm. making people scared to move and it's create, but that's not true when it comes to hypermobility where these people have so many more options of where to go with every joint. Exactly. You know, it's like, you have to give that queuing because, uh, someone with normal connective tissue any given joint only has a few options of where to go. And when you mm -hmm. throw hypermobility in the mix, your options just, you know, are, went exponential of, in terms of where that joint can move. Totally. Yeah. That was something else I found when I like switched clinics and all of a sudden I'm like with a, you know, quote unquote, normal population. And I was like, oh my God, I talk so much, but I was like, oh, I don't need to be saying so much, but I was like, I had to. And then I, you know, every now and gets, then get somebody who did have hypermobility. And I was like, okay, I wasn't completely crazy for like over over queuing because they need it. And, yeah. and I want to speak to this because I think it's really important because I think in the chronic pain world, there is so much emphasis, which is where my emphasis is right on like the mindset, working with the nervous system. And that is infinitely important. And if you're listening and you have hypermobility, chances are you also need specialized movement instruction not because you've done anything wrong or because you're broken or fragile. It's just because you need to learn how to feel your own body and where it is in space. Yes, absolutely. And the mindset work is also very needed. It's mm -hmm. super impactful for everyone. Um, but I think it is important for people who are hypermobile to also understand and recognize that some of our psychological symptoms often are misdiagnosed. So a lot of us have experienced anxiety, feelings of panic attacks, um, and have been diagnosed as such. And it can actually be dysautonomia that's causing mm -hmm. that. And that's another part where adequate hydration and the exercise can really help the dysautonomia and can help those, those feelings of anxiety. So not only working on the nervous system through breath work and getting that parasympathetic nervous system, you know, more on board. Mm -hmm. um, but hypermobile folks just tend to reach that fight or flight point um, much easier. And sometimes it has nothing to do with anything that we're thinking about. It can literally be our blood pressure went too low. Yes. Our heart rate went too high. We stood up and our blood volume went to our lower extremities and isn't as fast at coming back up. So sometimes it gets a little tricky. Um, you know, and if you're doing the mindset work and it's not, you're still feeling like you're anxious or you're having these symptoms of anxiety, you're getting sweaty or shaky, or then that's when like really start to think about the movement and the strengthening part. Cause you, that might be the missing piece. That's going to, you know, push you, push you over to get you where you want to be. 
Yeah. And oh my gosh, this is so important. So, so important because that dysautonomia, can you, I'm wondering if you can help people even identify it or give other, I mean, I think you kind of said it of like, it's like, there's no thought there's no mm-hmm. clear trigger almost, or maybe the trigger is a movement-based one or you're you know, getting up too quickly. Any other things that can help people maybe be like, oh, that's me. Yeah, maybe it's not my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing is if you, because the symptoms of anxiety mm-hmm. are, are the same, whether it, yeah. it is because of a thought process or whether it is, whether it's, physiological or psychological, meaning whether it's coming from your body and your physiology Mm -hmm. or your mind and your thoughts, the way that it expresses itself is the same, which Mm -hmm. is what makes it hard. If you go to the doctor and you explain the symptoms, they're probably going to give you an SSRI medication or send you to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's for some people that is accurate and that's great. But if you've tried that and it's not helping you, and you've also tried a lot of the breath work and the things, and it's it's, you're still having this kind of unexplained episodes of anxiety or even panic attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it may be dysautonomia and the way that I usually try to describe dysautonomia in just like super simple terms is it's just your nervous system is drunk. Basically. It's just not doing (laughs) its job. Right. It's like your, your blood pressure goes low. So your nervous Mm -hmm. system will dump, you know, norepinephrine and things that will, make your blood vessels constrict. Mm-hmm. So sorry, let me start that. Over. Your, your blood pressure goes low. Your nervous system dumps some hormones, chemicals, and it overdoes it. It dumps mm-hmm. way too much. And so now you're shaky and your heart rate's way too high. And now your blood pressure is higher and you feel crappy. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, oh, we did too much. So then they dump something else and then it goes way too low. And so it can be these swings of like, you feel like you're having a panic attack and then you're just exhausted, fatigued, Mm -hmm. feel like you can't keep your eyes open. Just, you know, these swings that some people even end up getting diagnosed as, you know, like bipolar Mm. or things like that. And, and it can actually just be dysautonomia in your nervous system. Yeah. Oh, this is huge. And so I'm curious if somebody is listening, they're like, holy shit, this is me. What do they do next? Where do they go? <laughs> do do so, they yeah. see their primary care? Like, is this something that needs to be medicated? Is this something that can be managed through movement and exercise and hydration? Yeah. So um, you absolutely always bring it up with your physician. Um, I will say that some physicians are not very knowledgeable about it mm-hmm. or helpful. Um you can go through testing for dysautonomia, tilt table testing. Um, that's usually performed by either a cardiologist who specializes in that or a neurologist who specializes in that. Um, some of the testing though, you can really do yourself at home, honestly, yeah, like lay yeah. down, like you can Google this, you can lay down on the couch for it's like 10 minutes. Don't move. You're not fidgeting. You're literally just laying there. You check your blood pressure, have someone help you. Then you're going to stand up. You're going to check it again. A lot of us have the wearable devices Mm -hmm. now that can help you watch that heart rate. When you stand up, what does it do? How do you feel? Um, and for most people, you know, increasing hydration, but not just hydration. If you're drinking a lot more water, then you also need the salt with it, (laughs) the sodium. Mm -hmm. Um, so we use element packets. That's something Mm -hmm. that for me has been just so helpful. Um, it's a brand that we like, they taste, I think they taste great. You dump them in your water, drink it with your water, drink more water than you're used to. 
um, for some people, compression garments, mm -hmm. specifically for the lower extremities. So like compression, you know, stockings or hose, or even, even like some of the tighter compressive yoga pants sometimes mm -hmm. can be really good. And, um, people also sometimes like the feedback in terms of proprioception from the compressive garments too, because it can kind yeah. of help you feel where you're at. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that you can do on your own. And then the strength training and movement, um, you know, when the, the blood does pull in those lower extremities, if you think about your muscles, when they contract, they're literally squeezing the blood back mm -hmm. up and getting it back up to your brain and heart where it needs to be to kind of calm things down. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm like bringing back my physiology. If I remember correctly, right. The, the, the calf muscles do not have, like they are the pump. Like there's no pump in your lower body. It's like you, it's literally the muscle contracting that pumps the blood back up. Right. Is that right? I you're testing me now. Right. I don't know. I know that it definitely helps. We both passed that test at some point, right? <laughs> but yeah, but but so what I want to bring here is just I think what's so common is that people get a diagnosis, right? Like maybe so they go and get the tilt table test or they're diagnosed with POTS, they're diagnosed with EDS, and then it's just like, well, that's just what I have. And it's like the bucket just stops there. Yeah. And it's like no, there's so, what you're saying is there's so much more that can be done and that you can get yeah. feeling so much better to manage it. And like you said, it's not curing it. It's managing it in a way that allows you to fully live your life and be strong and be functional and do yes. the things you want to do. And it's, you know, it's really up to the individual, I guess, and, and what kind of life they want to live. Um, there are medications that can mm -hmm. increase your blood pressure and bring down your heart rate. And, um, some people, if their dysautonomia is very severe, they might need those medications. Yeah. Um, but I will say every medication comes with side effects. And, um, you know, one of the biggest problems I saw as a critical care nurse were patients that would come in with a grocery bag of medications. And it was like, oh, this one's from this specialist. And this one's from this, but, and this one treats the side effects mm -hmm. from this one. And it's like, when you're on 10 different medications, how do you even know what's working and how you feel and whether what you're feeling is just a side effect of a medication? And so I, I wish more people saw more of the value in the, um, again, it's those simple things that, that are hard to get yourself mm -hmm. to do, like the movement and the nutrition and the mindset work and the breath work. Um, you know, they're not pharmaceutical. They don't cost anything in a lot of cases. They're super accessible. And I think that they are highly underrated in how effective they can be for people. Yeah. And not to mention they improve your quality of life so much more. Like, yes, like absolutely. There are some people who need the medications or at least need it as a bridge or might need to be on them for life. I mean, it's everybody, like you said, it's a spectrum. And when you can, but you can still incorporate these things, even if you're taking medication and then you might need to make sure you're going back and getting them checked or dosages switched more often, but yeah. your overall quality of life goes up because yes. being able to move your body through space is super important if you want to live yes. a whole life. Yeah. Especially as you age and it's like the older people who getting up yeah. out of a chair is tough or wiping themselves after they go to the bathroom. Like you have to, if you're yeah. losing the ability to do those things when you're in your third or fourth decade, mm -hmm. like what is that going to look like when you're 60 or 70? Yeah. And you gotta, yeah. 
think about your future too. Even if, even if how you feel in the present moment isn't enough to motivate you, you got to think about, you know, 20 years from now where you're yeah. not prioritizing the strength training. No, I think this is so important. And it's like, I don't want everyone to come across as like fear mongering. Cause that's not what I do, but it is, I think people don't realize the rate that muscle can atrophy when it's not used. And it's just a physiological reality. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, it was, I I'm grateful for being, and I'm sure you had that exposure too, right. To people who it's like, they, they can't shift themselves over in bed. They can't roll over. They can't get up from a chair because they are so weak. And, and it's never too late. I worked with all those people and you can get the strength back. It is much harder though. Yes. It's much harder and it's much slower. It's never too late. Mm-hmm. And if just daily life activities are challenging for you now, the reality is it will only get harder. And it's a hard, hard truth, I think, for some people to face. But the good news is, is that you can do something about it. Yes, absolutely. And so why don't you share what people like what you you offer? Because again, you have brilliant, amazing queuing and exercises and like programs. That, and you, I don't know all the details of them, but yeah. I just, from what I see, follow them on Instagram for sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. So our page is, it's wealth and it's spelled W health. Um, mm-hmm. And that name came from the idea that um, your health truly is like the most accurate measure of your wealth. Um like just your health is your wealth essentially. Um, so yeah, we put out a lot of free content on across all the social media platforms. Um, and then our programs, we do a lot of, um, these body paintings where we have a medical illustrator that comes and she paints on our bodies and the muscles and the joints and the tissues. And it really helps people visualize again, what we're talking about earlier, where like, here's where you should be feeling it. Mm -hmm. If they can, you know, for a lot of people, they don't, they don't know the anatomy. So if they can see it in a video and you're like, this is where you should feel it. They're like, got it. So we do that in our program videos. Um, most of them you know, anywhere where we could, we did the body painting. And then it's again, just a lot of the cueing and the emphasis on technique. Um, and there's a lot of different variations for every movement. So if you're like, that's not accessible for me, or that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. There's an easier version for you to, to work up to the other version with. Um, we take a very comprehensive and holistic approach. So there is a large emphasis on strengthening and movement, but we do also do a lot of breath work mindset. We look at your nutrition. um, We look at your sleep quality and what we can do to improve sleep hygiene. We look at how you're coping with stress and how you're, how well you're communicating with the people that are close to you. You know, all of these Mm -hmm. things impact our pain and our stress and everything is intertwined, interconnected. And I, I really felt like when I was working in, um, you know, clinical work, that that was one of the biggest things that the medical system just doesn't do that well. Everything's very Mm -hmm. siloed. If you have an issue with one thing, you know, if your nutrition is an issue, you go to a dietitian. If you're, um, you know, you're stressed out, you're going to go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. If you're, so everything's so separated. And there's so much crossover that isn't appreciated when you're going to all these different disciplines. And so our, our programming just really taps into everything. Um, you know, we kind of are throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it, but it really, you know, the more that we learned about the biopsychosocial model of pain, we were like, oh, 
there's a name for this thing that we've been doing, <laughs> right? Like, we knew it worked, but we sort of just felt like, why not tackle all of the things that seem to make an impact for people? Mm-hmm. And then we learned more about it. We're like, oh, there's a name for it. And like, this is why it works. Um, so yeah, everything's done online, um, which is great. Cause you know, some countries, they just, they don't have accessibility mm-hmm. to therapy or it can be really challenging, especially with hypermobility for people to find therapists who understand it. So um that's been, you know, one of the really great things with the hypermobility program is just that there are people from all over the world that enroll. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a community. So, you know, just the conversations and the support and the stories in the community. Sometimes if you're in a really rough spot, but you're able to observe someone else who was also in a really rough spot and you're able to see how far they've come, it can be really inspiring and it can really instill a lot of hope in people yes. and they can start to picture what they could do. Um, so, you know, that community is also something that's missing a lot of times with healthcare because of HIPAA and like, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um, yeah, that's just kind of another added bonus is, um, people being able to, to get to know other people like them. Oh, I think that's so huge. That's why I started a group program as well, because it's, I think we can feel so alone on our journey and then it makes you feel more, if you're already feeling broken, right. It makes you feel yeah. even more broken of like, oh my gosh, I'm the only one facing these challenges. I'm the only one. And it's like, no, you're not, yes. you're not. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's super, super awesome. Um, I feel like I was just going to ask another question. I totally just blanked on it. Oh, I know any, I don't know, I, I guess, inspiring stories or things that you want to share people that you think of who have done really well that can serve as an inspiration. Sorry, it's totally oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so many, honestly, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've had people that have had a bunch of surgeries that have had failed surgeries that have tried, um, you know, all kinds of different therapies and treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, by the time they come to us have done physical therapy, they've been to maybe chiropractor, acupuncturist, herbalist, mm-hmm. like they've usually Everything. tried a lot of things before they get to us. And people are understandably skeptical a lot of times. Um, and so seeing that shift start to take place and these, we see these updates in the community where people are like, oh my gosh, I went for a walk with my kids and like, I didn't have any pain. This Mm. is so like the first time that I've been able to do this, I wasn't crabby. It wasn't me that had to turn around and take us back home. Or, you know, it's the mom that's like, I was finally able to throw my kid in the pool for the first time. Like he's been asking me to throw him in the pool. And I'm always like, no, your dad has to do it. Like my neck, I can't lift you. Like mm-hmm. I threw him in the pool and I was okay. Like yes. I was scared and I was nervous and I did it and I was fine. And now I can throw him. And like hearing that from people gets me like, I, I know well, but when people are like, you know, I can be a mom again to my kids. It's like, oh, it just never gets old. Oh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's so good. That's so good. I'm thinking of this one woman too, that I was one of my first, she was literally my first evaluation that I had, like, as you know, I'm officially by myself as a physical therapist. (laughs) And of course it's like a 40 year history and she has EDS and you know, all these things. I was like, Oh my God. And when she came to me, it's like, she, at the end of the day, could not walk up her stairs to go to bed. She would sleep on her couch because she couldn't make it upstairs. And she would fall. I think it was something like at least every day, if not multiple times a day, because her joints, like she would just roll her ankles and fall and there was no strength. And I think when, by the time I left the clinic, so I was working with her for four years 
And, and at that point we were actually just working solely as exercise based and she hadn't had a fall in six months and she was sleeping in her bed every night. And it was just like, oh, it's just so cool. Like it's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, it, it's just awesome. And <clears throat> the education that goes along with it when people are understanding, because some people, you know, like that woman, a lot of times they end up in braces to help mm-hmm. support the joints, which can be great if that helps you to be more mobile but there should always be a goal of continuing to strengthen and get out of that brace. And I think that unfortunately, sometimes, you know, these, these people can be difficult and complex and they're not receiving that education. And so it becomes sometimes this kind of downward, you know, they, they rely on tools and other things, which have their place and are awesome, Mm -hmm. but like there has to still be that strengthening component to it. Yes. Yes. There's so much just short term in the medical field of like, okay, brace this, which is like you said, it has its place, but what's it going to mean in 10 years if that doesn't shift or if you don't try to start strengthening to come out of it? Uh, Exactly. Um, It's just so, so important. And I just respect what you guys do so much. I think it's amazing. And I feel like your reels are fantastic and they're so educational. I think you guys are hilarious too, of like, you just provide it in such a funny, entertaining way. Like, I love it. We try to have fun with it. We're, clearly we're not for do. everyone. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I'm like, oh, it makes me want like a whole team around me to be fun with. <laughs> it's so cool. So yes, everybody, I highly suggest you check out their account, check out their work because you guys do an excellent job. And Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and educating people. I think this is going to be such a helpful episode for so many out there who have just had unanswered questions. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, There's one, one additional thing I'd like to add for anyone who is, um, you know, navigating this or think they're hypermobile or you look it up and you're going to talk to your doctor about it. Um, Understanding and and try to be patient with your medical providers. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them literally got maybe one lecture on hypermobility or EDS. Um, a lot of, you know, medical doctors as a nurse, I don't remember learning anything about Mm -hmm. it. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can be challenging to find help in the medical system with it. So just try to be patient, try to understand it's, you know, it's likely that they want to help you. They just may not have the knowledge. Um, so just be persistent. Yes. Okay. And thank you so much for bringing this up because yeah, you were obviously as a critical care nurse experience this all the time of like, it's everybody, I would say most doctors, most nurses, they have very good intentions, they want to help. But if you haven't received the education, and if you have seven minutes with a patient, yeah, it's, it's really challenging. And like I said, as a PT, I definitely never had it. If I was not fortunate enough to be at that clinic at first, when I came across people with hypermobility, I would have been super confused as well. I just was lucky enough to have it basically ingrained in me from day one. It was like part of the curriculum of working in that clinic. We learned about it and we learned how to treat it. And it was just like, oh, okay, cool. That was a total blind spot in school. Yeah. Um, What a great opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the big thing with talking to your providers, or if you're working with a physical therapist or some other practitioner, it's, they may not have the capacity to learn about it and that's okay. And some might actually be super willing to learn with you and to go out and do it. And and not everyone's going to have the capacity to do it. And if not, that's okay, but look for somebody else. 
right? Yeah. It's just move on, find the next person, call up clinics, ask, get clear on what I feel like a lot of clinics, I will say from having worked at clinics, I also feel like sometimes the front desk is trained to be like, oh yeah, we're totally experts at that when they're not. So sorry for calling out clinics right now, but <laughs> that kind of needs I to agree. stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just like really talk to the PT of like, what have you seen? What is your approach? And because I do think there are, and I would say also like, what is, ask them what their philosophy is. Because I do think yep. there are people who work with hypermobility, but I still see that very fragile approach. Of like they work with it, but they work with it from this very fragile place. Yeah. I see it go like, yeah, I feel like it goes like this. Either they're <laughs> super fragile to the point that like, you're not really accomplishing a lot, mm-hmm. you know, or they're just like, oh, they're just like everyone else. They have the same body as everyone else does. And yeah. then they just hurt, you know, people end up getting hurt and frustrated and just stopping. Yeah. So look, yeah. Find someone's kind of in that middle ground of like, yes, you need totally. a unique approach and you're super capable. <laughs> yeah. Like ask what the plan is. Ask like, Hey, what's the outcome of this exercise? Like, what should I expect? You know, just get curious and be willing to learn for yourself too, because they might have some really good knowledge that they just, you know, they didn't share with you until you asked the question. And it's all of a sudden, Oh, now I see where this fits into your big picture. Right. It's like discuss the goals as this moving towards them. But there are, I think, like you said, there's a lot more people that are becoming aware and slowly more skilled at working with this. So it's just about finding the team. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for so much for bringing that up. And thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you about a million more things, but I was talking <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did and learned as much as I did as well. Don't forget the Doors to the Pain to Power program, a 12-week journey to unleash your life, close on May 7th. There is still time to get in. And if you happen to be listening to this after the doors close, just make sure you are on my email list so that way you never miss out on an opportunity like this in the future. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And if this episode was helpful and you know somebody else who is struggling with hypermobility or struggling with some symptoms that really sounded familiar to you on this episode, please go ahead and share this episode. You really can help someone tremendously by sharing it. Also give us a rating on iTunes, a five-star review goes a long way in helping others find this podcast and also help them with their journey through chronic pain to get back to living life full out. Thank you so much. Bye.